Welcome to Sunday morning at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and in our recent past, we have welcomed the newborn king into the world. We have watched as the shepherds and the angels and the magi all sought to put themselves into the presence of Christ. We do that today as we come together to worship and to celebrate and then seek to do that every day for the rest of our lives. Let's take this journey together. We are so glad you're here. Come on in. Today's first scripture reading comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 27, verses 4 through 9. Hear now the word of the Lord. One thing that I ask of the Lord is that I will seek after to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire of his temple. For he will hide in me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Now my head is lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Come, my heart says, seek his face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger, you who have been my help. Do not cast me off. Do not forsake me, O God of my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the opening of that letter. 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 18. Listen with fresh ears to this word of the Lord. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel and not with eloquent wisdom so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, friends, as we jump into this letter in Corinthians, this is Paul's literal letter to a church that is struggling. 
Corinth was a bustling town near Greece uh, and an isthmus, that is a land bridge with Athens on the other side. There was a cutoff so that those who were traveling didn't have to go around that uh, um, peninsula on which Corinth sits and could cut through directly to the city of Corinth, which made it prosperous, a, a port city, which meant that there was wealth there. Goods were being traded from all over the world in that place. And with all of that came all of the people from around different parts of the world. There are different contexts, there are different races, races, nationalities, and religions. There were gods all over the place. And into that, Paul comes and sets this church up. Went to the synagogue first, which was the way that Paul often started. He would go to a new city, go to the synagogue there, tell them about Christ, the cross, the resurrection, and then often, excuse me, a number of those would come and start along with others that Paul would pull in to be a new church. So we don't have a sense that this church in Corinth was huge at this time, but we have a sense that it was struggling because of all that surrounded it within and without. So let's take a look at this as we have heard it already. Now I appeal to you, brothers, and this chapter 10, the starting verse, gives us exactly what is on Paul's mind. And as 1 Corinthians starts, it tells us why he is writing this letter. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind and same purpose. Did they knock that out after they read this letter? Oh, well, Paul said, and what does that mean? To be in agreement, therefore not to disagree, that there be no divisions united in the same mind and purpose? What do we think Paul is talking about? I will say it this way. In any group you have been a part of, well, I'll say it this way first. Where two or more are gathered, who is there? God is there. Christ is there. What else is there? Politics and disagreement. You got two people in a room. You're often going to have two different sets of understanding and belief, even if you are in the same category of whatever. This could be a service organization you're a part of. This could be your spouse, a group of friends in your classroom, on your baseball team. It could be any group that you are a part of. And are they all uniformly, does everybody agree the same thing and all agree all the time on the direction of that particular relationship or organization? Of course not. And so why do we think that the church would be any different? Disagreement is not Paul's contention. As a matter of fact, we know later in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 12, 
One of those passages that we know and love, Paul lifts up diversity in the way that we have all been given different gifts. Some are called to preach, some are called to teach, some are called to prophecy, some are called to different aspects, and then goes into the body of Christ imagery. If the hand would say, I'm not a foot, the hand does it has low self-esteem and says, well, I'm just a hand, but it's the foot that's the big deal. But, but then the foot would say, well, I can't do it without the hand. Same thing with the eye. The eye would say, well, I don't hear, I'm just an eye. Obviously, we know that all of those things and all of those gifts given were meant for us to bring together to form the body of Christ. When we all share the gifts we've been given, the body of Christ is more full and effective. And when we withhold, and that's what it is, when we withhold our gifts and selves from the workings of God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the body of Christ, the church family, we are inhibiting and making the body of Christ less functional. So Paul is saying diversity is great. Everybody bring your context, what you've been giving, your understanding, and we're going to come together. So then how can, what is it with this disagreement? Well, I think clearly what Paul is getting to is not disagreements, it is division. And as I looked at the definition, the literal definition is to cause hostility between people. That is an aggressive and intentional act of negativity. Well, wait, preacher, if I disagree with somebody, am I causing division? Well, you would have to tell me. But Paul is making the statement that all of you need to share your voice. Often that will disagree in our church. We have it set up. It's the, our ruling body is called the session. There are 15 plus me, the pastor, I moderate. I have one vote just as everybody else does, but we work on consensus basis to get our work done in the church. That means you have to make an argument and enough people have to agree with you that majority votes that issue through. That means that people need to share and if they disagree with what has been proposed, then they need to share that. If the session only rubber stamps what the pastor wants, there's no sense in having a session. I'll just do it myself and save us all the time and meetings and effort. But that's not the way we run church. My point is, in every significant thing that you do, in every significant relationship, in every significant group, you need to speak up when you disagree with things. Anybody that's been married or had a good friend for a long amount of time, family, other groups, again, organizations, you know that what's worse than friction sometimes is nothing at all. If we never argue, if we never disagree, it means that we do not care enough to argue and to disagree. Often when I'm counseling couples who are getting married for the first time, and I'll ask, have, have you had some significant arguments? Have y'all found a way to work through how each of you kind of handle stress? And now we're in love, we never fight. <laughs> you are doomed, sweet young children of the Lord. 
If there's never any friction, it means that you don't care about that relationship and you've given up. Now, we don't want it to go too far the other way when it becomes not just disagreeing and saying, hey, there's another way to do this or think about this or we all know sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some as far as conversations, agreements, conclusions. But when it gets to the area of division, when we are causing hostility between people is when disagreement becomes sinful. Almost in the vein of anger, I fully believe there is righteous anger. If you look at Dr. King, whom we are celebrating on this Monday and this weekend, he did not bring division. He brought disagreement. Martin Luther, 95 Theses on the door, did not bring conflict or division. He brought up some disagreements and said, let's talk about this. Dr. King intentionally said, we are not bringing hostility, but we need to have a conversation about this. And it was the response to his disagreement that brought division and hostility and violence and death. It is when disagreement becomes division. It is when we start to look and make so sure that we are right that it becomes sinful because within we start to have to be right. We start to feel superior in our position and we start to twist things in a negative way. How was that shown here, Paul? Well, Cleo, I don't know what Cleo's problem is, ratting everybody out. Cleo's snitches get stitches, if you know what I mean. But in this case, she was concerned with the church, so she called and let Paul know stuff is going on. He said specifically, what is the issue? She's saying that there are factions within the church that are forming because people were baptized by different Christian leaders in that church and in that area. I belong to Paul, that was one. I belong to Apollos, another credible Christian leader. I belong to Cephas, that's Peter, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided, Paul says? No, is the rhetorical answer. Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul, Paul is saying? And then Paul says, I thank God I didn't baptize too many of you, so I don't have to worry about you misinterpreting what this is about. They were starting to fracture their congregation and say, Apollos baptized me. We are better than those whom Peter baptized and who Paul baptized. Dr. Johnson baptized me. Joel Alvis baptized me. Jimmy Elder baptized me. Tim Graham baptized me. Thad Haygood baptized me. Danny Deeth baptized me. So all of those people would get together and they were starting to break and point and feel superior and start to play for power, start to divide the church because they knew they were better because of who baptized them. That's the specific that Paul is laying out. 
And Paul is saying, no, none of those people matter. It's not who baptized you, it's why you were baptized. Did Danny Deeth go to the cross? No. Was Apollos crucified for you and raised for you? No. Was Peter? No. It's not about these little factions. Stop making it about the people and realize this is about Christ. Stop these divisions, these specific ones, because you're putting human significance on humans, and it's not about that. It is about the risen Christ. So first, we need to hear your voice. In every setting, whether it is in the church or the world, disagree, yes. But watch that it doesn't become division that you are causing, which is intentional hostility towards others. What has to happen for that? It means that when you come into a group of people, even if you think you've got it figured out, that you are open to change and you will listen to other people's perspectives. Social media does a lot of positive things, but one of the negative things it is training us to do is to just throw out our opinions in any way, shape, or form and then not listen. We are in a culture that is screaming at each other and no one is listening. We have to be willing to listen. It is a spiritual discipline. Even if you are convicted, and I be convicted according to your faith and believe in Christ, from everything in the way you lead your lives. But be open to what someone else might say. Be open to another perspective. Even if you're sure you're right. I get it. I see where they're coming from. I think they're still wrong. But at least I understand a little bit more because I've stopped talking and I've listened. And they have stopped talking and they listened to me. Sorely missing that, culture is gone. The hope for this is in the church, if we can figure out how to do it ourselves. Second, so we don't want our arguments that we need to lift up so our voice is heard, righteous anger, but not moving it to anger of destruction and sinfulness, not moving our disagreements into divisions of which it becomes negative, dark, and broken. And then secondly, after Paul lays this out, that this isn't about who baptized you, this isn't about people, it's about the risen Christ, and that's where the focus needs to be. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Foolishness of the cross. You've heard that phrase, fools for Christ. This is one of the passages that leads us there. If you were Jewish in Corinth at that time, you, would have, you were expecting a Messiah to come in the form of David and his army, powerful, violent to overthrow these occupiers, the Romans. Some peasant carpenter, died and was killed on the cross, that's your guy? No. Greeks, 
who were there in all of their array of gods, their love of knowledge was their savior, multiple gods. And the fact that a God would lower God's self to become one of us and then would be killed, foolishness, foolishness. And many in the world still hold that opinion. But we know better. We know from our study, our worship, our service, our fellowship, our connectedness, that there have been moments that we have had with God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit that were powerful to us. We have felt this body of Christ and our place in it, and we know the truth and the reality, even with our doubts and fears, we know enough that we have made a stand to follow the risen Christ. We know the reality and truth. Even on dark days when we can scarcely pray, we know the truth of this from our own experience. And even if you don't believe this is a safe place for you, come and explore. We are meant to do this together. So the foolishness of the cross is what a lot of people see. But we know the truth We know the reality of the cross, that God loved us so much that God sent Christ to be one of us, to die not as a sacrifice of of blood and pain, but rather of grace, of reconciliation, of hope, peace, joy, and love as our Advent wreath lifted up. All of those things were made manifest on the cross and when the tomb became empty. We know the foolishness of the cross. The foolishness of the cross says that this earth is not who we are, that the values of this earth is not who we are. And I will close with some questions I want to read from a book called The Mission of God from Christopher Wright. If in this new year you are looking to reprioritize and reclaim the foolishness of the cross, which we know to be the truth and the power of God, ask yourself these questions. Often we ask, where does God fit into the story of my life? When our question needs to be, where does my life fit into God's great story? We want to be driven by a purpose that has been tailored just for us in our own individual lives. When we should be seeing the purpose of all life, including our own, wrapped up in the great mission of God for all of creation. We talk about the challenge of applying the Bible to our lives, which means modifying the Bible to fit where we already are but we need to ask what would it mean to apply our lives to the Bible or to the kingdom of God instead, knowing the Bible to be the reality, the real story for which we are called to conform ourselves. So not squeezing God into us, but moving us into God's existing kingdom. How can we make God, the gospel relevant to the world? God is about the business of transforming the world to fit into the shape of the gospel of God's kingdom. What about church? What can be legitimately included in the mission of God 
from this church instead of asking what kind of church expect God expects for God's mission. And finally, I may wonder what kind of mission God has for me when I should ask what kind of me God wants for God's mission. So it moves us from this radically personal individual relationship with Christ, which absolutely is important, but it shifts so that then our focus becomes how do we serve in God's existing world and make better disciples of ourselves so we can fit in to God's love, grace, hope, joy, and present kingdom. That is the foolishness and the wisdom of the cross that Paul is lifting up to us. So on this day, let your voice be heard, disagree, but not to the point of hostility, negativity, and that kind of division. And be a fool for Christ. Tell others why you believe what you believe, not in a judgmental way, but because it's our job. You were given gifts in this body of Christ to go and share it that the world may know. We don't save people. We do our job and tell people about why we believe, and then God takes it. Be open to change and listen in different groups that you are a part of. Only in doing so can we continue to move forward. And let us relish in the folly of the cross, knowing that we restructure our lives to fit into God's mission rather than trying to squeeze God into ours. So with joy, hope, peace, and love, let us go into the world as Paul has challenged us. Hallelujah. Amen.